0: Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Bible Baptist Church. About 12 years ago, uh, my wife and I were working with... um, Some folks who were addicted to substances, crack, cocaine, and marijuana, and uh, some other things, and um, working with them individually throughout the summer, and then as school uh, began to come in the fall, uh, we had to consolidate those efforts, and we did that into uh, a Friday night class. Uh, for these men and women who are attending church with us, and, and uh, uh, we begin a Friday night ministry we call Freedom That Lasts. If you want to find out more about that, you can go to freedomthatlasts.com. This is a shameless commercial, freedomthatlasts.com. It's a discipleship program, faith-based recovery program, because that's what they understand, but actually it's a discipleship program. And I mention uh, every week when I'm talking to the newcomers, the ones who are there for the first time, that we celebrate every day of sobriety. And when somebody in a testimony time says, I've been sober uh, two weeks now, or two years, or 20 years. We all clap and celebrate that, <clears throat> and, and because it's, it's, it's a wonderful milestone for them. However, um, we want to go way beyond that in Freedom at Last to heart transformation, because all of us know we can be sober and miserable. Um, I think most of us could testify, you may have never used a substance and been addicted to a substance, but you can be sober and miserable. You can be sober and be a thief. You can be sober and be immoral. But you can't be like Jesus and be any of those things. So what we do on Friday nights is learn how to handle the trials of life and the temptations of life so that we can become like Jesus. There's a very interesting thing that the world is becoming more and more transparent about, that there is a big difference between physical dependence from a substance and what the world calls psychological addiction or what some are calling true addiction. For example, grandma goes into the hospital, and when I say grandma, that's my wife and me. We're, we're that age, <clears throat> so we we go. Uh, somebody a grandma goes into the hospital for hip surgery, hip replacement surgery, and maybe there's some complications, and she has to be on morphine for let's say three weeks on a on a uh, IV drip of morphine. Well, that is that is a highly addictive substance. Morphine is actually pharmaceutical grade heroin. It's an opioid. Well, Grandma is in there for three weeks on an opioid and she does become physically dependent. She is going to have withdrawal difficulties when, and the doctors are going to try to help her with that, with some other lighter medications and so forth. <clears throat> but she's been using heroin, if I can put it that way, for three weeks, every day, 24-7. She doesn't come out of the hospital a junkie looking for a dealer on the street, even though she's been using for three weeks. She may come out foggy and, uh, you know, a little bit um, up and down emotionally uh, while she uh, gets, off, gets off the drug because of its tolerance and there's a withdrawal effect on it. But the world is becoming even more honest about that and saying that is not addiction. Now, Grandma, um, grandma is trying to get off that drug as fast as she can. Because the side effects of the drug interfere with the life she wants to get back to. She wants to get back to her grandkids, her family, her cooking, her gardening, her quilting club, or whatever she's involved in, her Sunday school class. And, and the fact that the drug mu- kind of numbs her brain and, and plays with her emotions, she does not like that, and she can't wait to get off it. Now, if grandma does not have a better life to get back to, she doesn't have a family that wants to be around her. She doesn't have a, a club of folks who don't want to... Uh, who, uh, she doesn't have a club of people that want to be with her. The mind-numbing effect of the drug and the emotional flatness and the emotional high at times are welcome. And that's when she begins using the drug to solve the problems of life. The isolation the guilt, the shame, the anger. And I remind the folks quite often, you know, we're, we're used to COVID things now. We talk about the risk factors for COVID. <clears throat> there are risk factors for addiction. Anger is a risk factor for addiction. Guilt and shame and frustration and hurt People use drugs and alcohol to deal with those problems. But all of those problems are soul problems. Guilt is a soul problem, not a physical problem. Guilt, shame, is a soul problem. It may not be a sin. The shame may be because somebody sinned against you. But it's still resolved in the soul. Anger is a soul problem. Fear is a soul problem. Worry is a soul problem. Bitterness is a soul problem. Vengeance is a soul problem. And you don't solve any soul problem by putting a substance in your body. Or by cutting your body. Or by starving your body. Or overeating your body. Those are all ways that people, uh, tactics people use to solve problems of their soul. And that's why freedom that lasts... And, and that's why the church is the, are the only ones with the answer because we're the only ones that bring Jesus as a solution to soul problems. Uh, NIDA, National Institute of Drug Abuse, uh, a subset of the National Institute of Mental Health. I mean, these are the government agencies. Very Right on the main page of their, uh, um, of their website, uh, there is a difference between physical dependency and true addiction. Now, and it's not just drugs and alcohol that we can use to solve problems. We can use uh, isolation to try to solve a problem of fear in the soul and shame. We can use anger as a way to solve problems, and we, become, we just become an angry person. It keeps everybody away. we got control of it because we're, we're manipulating who dares cross us. Porn, social media can become a way of escaping real problems of life. And what I want us to see is that, is, and what I want our volunteers to see as we work with them, is that the only solution for soul problems is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And not just in salvation, it must start there. But only Jesus can change the way we think and what we want. And how we respond. Only Jesus can do that. And the, and the process he does for that is called sanctification. It's the Bible doctrine of how we change and grow. So on Friday nights, we talk about how do we change and grow? And how do we handle temptations? And how do we handle trials? But by, by default, because we are fallen creatures, even though we are redeemed fallen creatures when we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, our default is still to handle this our own way, and we need to learn God's way of making change and growth. So, freedom at last is a discipleship program. I, I, I remind them that um, mature Christians, like the Apostle Paul, were tempted to sin, and mature, and mature Christians do sin. But no mature Christian is enslaved to any sin. Because if he truly is mature, he knows how to handle temptation, and he knows how to handle trials. That doesn't mean he's going to do it perfectly every time, but he doesn't stay enslaved to anything. So the whole goal is, how do we become more like Jesus? How do we have the the character of Jesus? And I want to speak to you this morning in Ephesians 4. Uh, the topic of uh, basics for biblical change you, you might say frequently, frequently um, I, I tried something I tried something spiritual, but it didn 't work, or I made a decision at church or at camp or at a, at a uh, revival meeting, but it just didn 't stick. Or my my kid really needs to shape up, but I, I don't know how to help him. Or something is wrong with this or that person, but I don't know where to start with that person. Well, Peter says that God has given to us all things that pertain to life, eternal life, and godliness in this life. God has given everything that we need through the knowledge of him and through his ways. And the apostle Paul in in Ephesians 4 is going to help us understand that beginning of verse 17 <clears throat> He says, "This I say therefore," and we have to ask ourselves, what is the therefore therefore? It, it is there because Peter or Paul has just talked about how the goal of, of God through the ministry of the church is for these God-sent leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and bring us all into the unity of the faith in the full stature of Jesus Christ and to become like him. And, and verse 17 says, This I say therefore, since this is why God has saved us, to make us different. And to make us like himself, I testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, the emptiness of their thinking. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the the blindness or the hardness of their heart who being past feeling callous, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness or sin without restraint to work all uncleanness with greediness. They are unleashed to practice shameless sin. And boy, that is our world today, isn't it? We see that more and more and more, and evil men are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I hope as you watch the news about the uh, even even the the protest from uh, the overturn of Roe v. Wade that your heart grieves for those protesters they don 't know God they 're doing exactly what the God of this world, who determines the course of this world, he has them second Timothy says, in bondage, and it is your job and my job to reach men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ and when you see all of that happening. Our hearts need to grieve and beg God that his word would be powerful in their lives and he would use us to take the gospel to people. Many of the women that, men and women that come to Freedom at Last have not come from independent fundamental Baptist churches, as you might imagine. The ones who have had abortions are thrilled with Roe v. Wade, but they still deal with all of the, the shame and the trouble in their own souls. Mother's days are not happy days for them. The day of their abortion is not a happy day for them. And so we, we want to, or, or, or a man who has lost his family and his livelihood because of his alcohol or his drugs or his porn, and he wants to be something different. And I reminded them Friday night, <clears throat> as we talk about these things about making biblical change, you look at this and you say, boy, this is hard work. And I say, isn't addiction hard? Yeah, it is. Addiction gets really hard. And you lose your family and your job, and, you, and you, now you have a prison record. You've got a felon on your record, and that, that interferes with the job market. And you have so many DUIs, you can't get a driver's license. If you can't get a driver's license, you can't get a job, and you can't work, then you're homeless. Life is really, really hard. And I hope as you see men and women who are homeless and struggling that you don't look down and disdain or the, or the people who are have other signs at Walmart ex- as you exit and asking for food. Some, some of them are, are making more money than you and I are uh, doing that. But in either case, they need Jesus. And we can't look down and disdain. Our Lord looked over the people of Jerusalem and it was filled with all kinds of people and he looked over them with compassion. And you and I must too. We can't be self-righteous Pharisees and say, "Well, get a job, man." When you've already messed up and you don't have a, and you got a felony on your record, who's going to hire you? Our church has numbers of businessmen who hire these men and women with prison records, give them a clean environment and discipling environment, and are really making a difference in their lives. Well, do they mess up at work? Yeah, they do. Sometimes they're not reliable. But you disciple them. Who else is going to disciple them except God's people? And too often, even in our own Christian lives, we are content with the wrong kind of change in our lives. For example, a spoiled teen may stop. We don't have any of those in here, so I'm not preaching at you. <clears throat> a spoiled teen may stop his sulking, which, which is a desirable change, but only because his parents have given in and given him the car he wanted. But he's changed. He's changed. A depressed wife may become her old cheerful self again, a desirable change, but only because her husband, her alcoholic husband, granted her the divorce she wanted. But she's changed. She's cheerful now. Or a college student may be getting better grades, desirable change, but only because she's found a boyfriend whose affection has lifted her spirit so she feels like studying again. She's changed. But in all of this, there are changes, but this is not biblical change. Nothing has changed on the inside. The person is still serving himself. Maybe easier to live with, but still serving himself. We can't be content with just any change. So Paul goes on in verse 20. And says the world is filled with this kind of behavior, but he says in verse twenty, "But ye have not so learned Christ." That's not what you've learned about Jesus. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, if you really have been taught and you are, you are. um, He's writing to a church; these are people within the church. He said, "You've learned a different way of living." And, he, and here's what you've learned, verse 22, that you put off, concerning the former lifestyle conversation, the old man, that Adamic man, that nature of Adam that we inherited from, uh, from Adam. Before conversion, we have to obey our sinful nature. And God calls us later on, or earlier in Ephesians, children of wrath, children of disobedience. And then we come to Christ and he puts his spirit in us, pays a penalty for our sin, baptizes us into his body, and we become new creatures. And Paul is saying, since you are new creatures, you got to put off the ways of this old guy, this old man. And that's not. this is where life gets really tough because we want to do what we want to do. James says uh, that we are, uh, he says, every man, now, how many people in the world would that include? That's the whole bunch of us, every member of mankind is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And, and, and James is, or, or Paul is saying the same thing here, that, you, that we, we are corrupt. Uh, the old man is corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, its lying lusts. At the heart of our sin, men and women, is that we want something. We have strong desires. The Bible calls them lusts. We have strong desires. It doesn't have to be a sexual desire. You can't be tempted with something you don't want. When we go up to the wilds in North Carolina, all those windy country roads and you'll see a dead possum on this you know, on the road or something, somebody has roadkill. I don't say, honey, we gotta stop. I mean we haven't had roadkill for a long while. This, this is good stuff. That one's still moving a little bit. Whew, this is good. You can't I cannot be tempted with roadkill. I don't want roadkill. I can be tempted with a flame mignon medium rare. But my point is, if you don't want something, you can't be tempted with it. So James is saying, and Peter and, and Paul is saying here, you got to watch what you want, because that's where you're going to get tripped up. If you want to know what really drives you and what you want, pay attention to what gets you angry. Because we're only angry about stuff not happening the way we want it to happen. Check out what you worry about, because we only worry about things that we want to keep or to get. Check out what makes you, what, what leads you into despair, hopelessness. It's, you reach the conclusion, I'll never get what I want. Listen, our troubles start with our wanter. And God wants to change what we And our wanter is based on what we love. And that may be, I love or want people's approval. I love or want success and achievement. I want first chair in the school orchestra, first string in the athletic uh, game. I, I want um, uh, a better house, a, a better whatever. Even, even parenting. Is it okay, is it, is it a, a godly desire to want children who walk with God? Yes, it is. But oftentimes our discipline is out of control because what we want is some peace and quiet. And that will destroy our discipleship efforts. It has to be because we want to rear children who love and serve Jesus. And the most important piece of that is a role model in front of them of somebody who loves and wants to serve Jesus. And Paul says, You got to put off the ways of that old man which is corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, its lying lusts. And we read Romans 3. I won't turn there, but oftentimes I, I think of that as, as a uh, well, I'll, I'll turn there, but you don't have to. Um, it's a picture of the sinful human heart, but when I get saved, the power of sin is broken, but I still have the leftover inclinations of that sinful nature. It's called the flesh. And I read Romans 3, and I think, There is none righteous. No, not Jim. There's none that understand that Jim, that Jim does not seek after God. That left to myself, this is me yet. Jim has gone out of the way. He's altogether become unprofitable. Jim doesn't do good, not once. His throat is an open sepulcher. With his tongue, he's used deceit. The poison of asthma is under his lips. His mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. His feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in his ways, and the way is peace, as he's not known. There's no fear of God before Jim's eyes. That's the inclination of my heart and your heart, even after salvation. And that's why we need the sanctification process for God to change what we want and who we love because the battle is between loving myself and loving Jesus. And one of the ways that we show that we, we, have, we have too high of a view even of the human heart after salvation is we, we look at somebody and say, I would never do that. Dr. Bob Senior used to say there's not a single sin that anybody's ever committed that you couldn't do under the same provocation. It's exactly right. Or why would anybody do that? Well, our human heart has all kinds of ways to justify what we want to do. Or I can't believe anybody would say such and such a thing about me. Well, if I'm honest... <laughs> I'm glad they don't know everything about me. Do You see, we're, we're so jaded even in the way we, we need God and we don't realize how much we need God because we've got a pretty good picture of our own heart. And Paul says, I want you putting off the ways of that old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And then he says, and this is how you do that, number one, you be, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So one of the reasons we fail to change is because we fail to restrain this flesh, say no to ourselves in the power of the Spirit of God. Scripture says that our flesh needs to be put off. Restraint and self denial is kind of passe today. You know, what, what, did, what did they do, whether you agree with it or not? It's not the debate here this morning, but when the COVID thing hit, All of us are trying to stay away from the virus. You know, before we knew better, we're wiping everything down and and, uh, wiping the UPS packages down. I mean, we're doing everything because we don't know what this virus is like and what's going to happen to us. And what I'm saying is when the environment became to to what we knew to be more, uh, thought to be more toxic, and in many cases it was, we needed more protection, not less, Doctors today suit up and do and do all kinds of self-protective things in many ways. And I, and I, I had open-heart surgery, and they forgot to give me um, a shot to go into the operating room where they um, uh, where the uh, the anesthesiologist was hooking me up and I'm asking her all kinds of questions about what's going on and I'm seeing these guys take out um, instruments out of these plastic cases and stuff and I was asking, she said, did they give you a shot before you came in here? And I said, no. She said, I didn't think so because nobody talks when they come in here. But I'm glad they went to all those precautions because I got a really big problem and they can make it worse if they're contaminated. Doctors don't need less protection today. They need more because the contamination is greater. You and I, men and women, need more self-denial and self-restraint today than ever before because the environment we deal with, entertainment, everything else is far more toxic than it used to it used to be. This is not a time to be throwing off the restraint when we ought to be saying, how can I walk with Jesus? How can, I, how can I make sure that I am not corrupted by this world? And I'm not saying isolate ourselves. Patty and I are in the midst of some horrible life situations trying to help people. But we got an entertainment world and a world out there, even a news world, that will contaminate us if we don't have the mind of Christ. Say, well, you know, I'm, I'm older now, and I can handle things. I, are you any safer? So when you get older, does that mean you have to use your seatbelt? Let's say it wasn't a law, but does that mean you have to, because you're older, you, don't, you get to use a seatbelt less? Danger is all the time. When do you wear a seatbelt? All the time. We fail to restrain our flesh. And I don't have time to say more than that about it. Point B, we fail to renew our minds. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's it's not just enough for the men and women we work with to develop new habits. So instead of lighting up when, when life gets really nervous, chew some gum. Well that's that is safer physically but it's not the way to deal with the soul problem of fear or worry or anger that takes a renewed mind one of the ways i've been teaching them uh, this is that you know in um remember in elementary school now th- this was this wasn't in my elementary school we Life was a lot less sophisticated. Um, when I was in elementary school, I'm in South Dakota, went to a one-room schoolhouse, eight kids, and or 12 kids in eight grades, and we didn't have all these fancy things. Um, like, if your clothes catch on fire, you're taught as, as a school child to stop, drop, and roll. And that, that's that, Boy, that's good advice. That when you're in an emergency, you've already memorized the tactics. Stop, drop, and roll. Years ago, when we were going to the uh, mission field, I thought we were going to the mission field. I got a private pilot's license because we thought that might be a part of what we were doing. And um, whatever plane you are checking out on, you learn the emergency procedures for that plane. And the reason you memorize them and go through them is because when you lose your engine, you are going to land. You are going to be on the ground. The, the condition you are when you reach the ground has a lot to do with what you do in the next several seconds. And you don't have time to be checking a manual uh, to find the, 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 the glide slope for the best uh, uh, distance. Uh, you don't have time to do that. You've got to know what it is for your plane. And you can't wait for another temptation during a bad time. you got to know exactly what you're going to do. So I, I, I show them stop, drop, and roll. And I say, if you, you the emergency procedures for any trial and any temptation is bow, trust, and obey. Bow, trust, and obey. Bow, trust, and obey. And I challenge them to write out bow, trust, and obey cards three-by-five card where you write out, by bow means men and women, when you and I face a trial or a temptation, the first thing we must do is have a conversation with God. I've been trying to train myself to do that. I fell off a ladder a year and a half ago and um, really messed up my right shoulder. I landed on my elbow, pushed the top of this bone through the uh, not through but looked like I had a racquetball here and I've been through open heart surgery no pain was anything like that dislocated shoulder where I tore off the rotator cuff here in a couple of spots and but with God's help and I say this to God's glory I've been trying to have the right response when I hit the ground my first thought was God I guess I'm not complete and entire wanting nothing because you just gave me a trial Men and women, the first thing we got to do in a trial is we got to talk to God. We bow. Sometimes that bowing is repentance. Sometimes that borrow, that buying is surrendering, as I had to that, that day for this circumstance. I knew that my life is going to be rearranged for months. But you know that's okay, because there's a God we can trust. And then we obey Him. And we can how how often do we do that? We bow, trust, and obey. If we're going to endure, we we do that repetition countless times to develop the character of Jesus and develop godly endurance. And you bow, trust, and obey, and bow, trust, and obey, and your problems don't change, and the finances don't change, and the relationship with that other person doesn't change. They're still prickly as a porcupine, and they got the personality of a Brillo pad, and they just rub everybody the wrong way, and you got to work with them or live with them, and you bow, trust, and obey, and you bow, trust, and obey, and you bow, trust, and obey, and you become like Jesus. The other option, from James 1:14 and 15, is when every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. We, we desire something, and then we're deceived by something, and then we sin. If the most important thing that you want is to be like Jesus, then you, your, your desires are changing. And your responses will change. And that means a lot of time in this book being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot have the mind of Jesus with a drive-by devotional every day. This, this, I, tell, I tell the students, you, you, if you want to be like Jesus, you don't measure your time with God in minutes a week. You measure it in hours a week. And if you're going to be godly, there are a lot of movies you never see. There's a lot of ball games you never watch. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but we are way too involved in all of them to ever be godly. There's a lot of surfing of the internet that, never do, that you never do. And I'm not just talking about the bad stuff. I mean, you can, you can watch funny YouTube videos till the cows come home and waste a lot of time I'm not saying it's, not, it's a bad thing to watch one once in a while, but we ought to be measuring our time with God. And I'm not giving a legalistic standard. I'm just saying if we're going to saturate ourselves with the Word of God and be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we have to give God the time to let that happen. Romans 12.2, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James 1.22 says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness or leftover wickedness and receive with meekness this engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But don't just be a hearer of the word and not a doer whosoever looketh into this perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He, how long do you stay in that passage? He being not a forgetful hearer. You stay there letting God teach you what this is until you can't forget it and until you're actually doing it. He being not a forgetful hearer, but he's a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in his his doing. Second Corinthians 4, 16 and 18, again talking about trials, Paul says, for which cause the glory of God? We faint not, though our outward man perish. Do you, you ever feel that? That this old body's wearing down? Though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction. that's Boy, that's a different perspective. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. That's another a new perspective. Which is but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. We must spend much time looking at the eternal where this is all headed and what God wants us, what part he wants us to play in the meantime as it moves toward his culmination. Men and women, our problems can't be solved. I don't know who said this originally, whether it was Einstein or somebody else smart. But our our problems can't be solved with the same level of thinking that created them you you if somebody's in financial trouble and they're way behind and they're in debt and they've run up their credit cards and they're doing all kinds of impulsive buying you don't solve that problem at the same level of thinking that got you into that problem you have to be transformed in how you think and god and that's what god is saying we 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 fail to change because we don't restrain our flesh. And secondly, we fail to change because we don't renew our minds. And thirdly, we fail to reflect Jesus Christ. Our goal is wrong. And, and many of us have really, really heavy, heavy problems that we face. And my wife and I are eyeball to eyeball with people almost every day whose life circumstances are overwhelming. And the natural thing for all of us is that we want relief from that. And and there is a a Christian compassion that helps bring relief in some of that. And most of us go to another Christian to give us some counsel because we want relief from something. And there's nothing wrong with that. But always God is wanting us to grow through this thing. That's the whole message of James 1 is that if you will, in, I, 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 I tell the people of freedom at last, if you want a bumper sticker, it's we, we endure to mature with God. We must endure. We must stay at it with God's help. Or we can self-indulge to self-destruct, which is James 1, 14 and 15. You self-indulge, you will self-destruct. But the whole goal must be to grow in likeness to Jesus. We have a, psychologic, a psychologized worldview in, in, in much of the church today. And we get the idea that our, our problems are other people. If they, this would just happen, we're working with a situation right now where both parties, the husband and the wife, are saying, if my spouse would just straighten up, I'd be all right. A lot of that marriage counselor ends up being that they want to use the counselor as a hammer to smack the other person. And they're not interested in change. Why does God have them in that situation? Their, their, their selfishness and their, their fleshliness has created all kinds of problems. And did you know that whatever problems are created, if they will work through them biblically, it will change them. I would have students who would say, I came from a miserable home situation, and they did. And it's got all this problem and this problem and dad's like this and mom's like that. And they're just horrible situations. And they say, I don't have any choice but to go home this summer. It's just going to be horrible when I go home. And I said, well, you know, and, and, and mom and dad didn't come. I don't know how to do this and that or solve problems this way. And I said, well, now, with God's word, the same environment that was destroying you is the same environment God will use to change you and mature you if you learn to respond right. that so let's talk about what it means to put off the ways of the old man be renewed in the spirit of your mind transformed in your mind about how about all of these things and put on the ways of the new man what would Jesus do and I'm not talking about a simplistic bracelet we put over you know what would Jesus do but really folks what would Jesus do if I'm going to be like him We spend a lot of time teaching them the virtues of 2 Peter 1. I add to your faith virtue, a commitment to be like Jesus, and to virtue knowledge of Jesus and his ways, and to that self-control that is instant obedience to God's word and the power of God's spirit. And endurance, continuing to obey God's word and the power of God's spirit, no matter what. And godliness, uh, desiring and promoting what, is, what uh, Jesus wants. And brotherly kindness and love. You know, as we begin to practice those, uh, each of us ourselves in, in the ministry, in freedom at last, it changes us. This is what Jesus looks like. Jesus has a commitment to please his Father. Jesus was submissive to his Father's ways. Jesus was obedient and submissive, and he had self-control and endurance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And I feel like I'm a second grader in that journey. But we must go to this book and see how Paul and Peter and James and the apostles and the prophets say, this is what, this is what a godly person looks like. And as we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, and, we, and you memorize a lot of Scripture, I tell them the only Scriptures that will help you go to sleep at night when life is crashing down are the Scriptures you know so well you can save in your sleep. And you wake up in the middle of the night with one of those, those heavy things. And it may be a problem with a child, a wayward child, or, or a boss, or the marriage falling apart, or whatever. And you wake up in the middle of the night with, with that on your mind. And, and if you have meditated and memorized Scripture, you will find God's Spirit intervenously pumping that into your soul. I have some go-to passages like that. Isaiah 55 is one. James 1 is another. And I get through about verse 3 of either one of those chapters and I'm back sleeping. And it's not just because it's a distraction to think about something else. But there is truth there that quiets your soul. So we have a lot of work constantly to be doing. Paul says in Second Corinthians one eight to nine, "For I would not have you ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia." I I, I was two years into ministry as a dean, dean of students at Bob Jones. I, I was dean of students for on student life for thirty over thirty years. And after two years of that and and a kind of a driven type A personality kind of thing, I want to get everything done and get it just right. And it was just overwhelming. And I, I was wearing myself out physically and emotionally and spiritually. And I got to the point after a couple of years, I just didn't want to do this another year. I didn't tell anybody, I didn't fuss about it, I didn't complain about it, but I'm thinking, I, I'm the other the other deans around me had already been there 40 years, and I'm thinking I'm two years into it, I don't want any more of it. And I thought I, I got a pretty bad attitude about the ministry right now. And I remembered in seminary studying 2 Corinthians, it was one of the books that we translated from Greek in seminary, and I remember it being the Apostle Paul's autobiography of the ministry. And I thought, I need, I need to bury myself in Second Corinthians because I got a pretty rotten attitude about ministry. And I memorized large over the next six weeks or six months—I don't know how long I stayed in Second Corinthians—but came to verse one in chapter one. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort others who are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And I remember saying in my bad attitude, yeah, well, so what? So I can help somebody else in the future. That doesn't make me feel any better today. I mean, that's how stinky my attitude was. But I knew I needed to memorize that passage. And I came to verse 9, 8, and he he says, chapter 1, verse 8, we would not have you ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. How that we were pressed out of measure. And I thought, yeah, out of measure. And he said, beyond strength. And I thought, yeah, beyond strength. And he said, insomuch that we despaired even of life. And I thought, yeah, God, what are you trying to do, kill me? And the next verse he says, yes. <laughs> the next verse he says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. It's as if God was saying, Berg, I don't get credit for resurrections until people die. Start dying. And it came to three five. He's He's put this treasure, or not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And for seven, he's put this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And on and on, and you know what? By the time I was through that book and memorized dozens and dozens of verses, God had renewed my mind about ministry. And I can tell you now in almost the, the, the remaining almost 50 years of ministry since then, I've not had one day of that kind of despair and depression. Why? Because God changed my view about trouble. Dr. Bob Sr., and I'll close with this, held his Bible. This is Dr. Bob Jones Sr., the founder of BJU, held up his Bible one day and he said, there's not a problem of the human heart. That can't be solved with this book. If taken in big enough doses. That's, that's the key, isn't it? The big doses. The hours we spend a week. And I, I uh, say, well, I, I, I'm not a seminary student. I don't know Greek. I don't know all that stuff. Patty's mother was one of the godliest women I know. She's with the Lord. Now, died of Died with dementia. Lived in our home many, much of the last uh, couple years of her life. Mom had a high school education. Came to Christ when she was reading the New Testament that some Jehovah's Witnesses had left at her door. (laughs) Imagine that. She came to Christ, got involved in a good church. Began reading her Bible. Patty said as a little girl, I remember mom would put me up on, on the counter and mom would be washing dishes. This is long before dishwashers. Um, and mom would be washing dishes and she would have me follow along on, these, on, on her memory cards. She memorized every packet of verses the nav, navigators ever produced. And she loved her Bible when we got married and I'd go over, the, we'd go. she was in Greenville then, <clears throat> we'd go over to um, her house so Patty would have somebody to talk to while I worked on grad papers. And if I had any question of theology, I could walk out into the <laughs> kitchen or dining room where they were, and I could say, Mom, what do you know about this? And she would tell me, well, go back to Ezekiel. And Jeremiah says that too. And my mom knew more theology, that, my mother-in-law knew more theology than I did. And she had a high school education, but she took great doses of her Bible. Patty's father died of a heart attack when Patty was 14. And Mom Zeller raised a family of five children without a husband. She lived in Greenville the last many, many years of her life. All the years of our marriage and a couple of years before. We've been married 49 years and Mom Zeller moved probably 51 years ago. But I knew that woman for over 40 years, close up. And I can tell you, men and women, I never saw that woman sin. Now, I'm sure she must have. I never saw her worry. I never saw her get angry. I never saw her get bitter. And she had hardships. But she knew God. And she knew his ways. And she knew what he was doing in her through trouble and he transformed her into a woman that reflected Jesus, no matter what the trouble was. And I say that to tell you, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You just have to have a heart that wants to know God and his ways. And you're committed to doing whatever he said. I tell the students, if when you're examining your life and you want to know what the trouble is, all you have to do is be, go and ask God to show you what your problems are and search me, oh God, and try me. And then you just have to be really, 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 if you're really, 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 really honest, you'll guess it the first time. We are so self-deceived when we decide, you know, God, I don't care what you show me. I'll do it with your help. It will make us into different people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word is a reflection of who you are. Jesus, thank you for dying for us before the foundation of the earth, loving us enough to know you would come and save us from our sins. Lord Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to respond like you under pressure, under trials, under temptations. And we pray that you would use our time together this morning by your spirit to motivate us to love your word and to love you, Jesus, more than we ever have. We pray this in your precious name because we love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.